Hey guys, before we start the show, just wanted to let you know that we had a few issues with the audio in this episode. It's been repaired, but you may notice that at some parts. We're really excited about this episode, so enjoy the show! The most memorable guest was actually um, one of the dinners uh, once we moved back here to Michigan. And she said two years ago when she was watching me on MasterChef, she looked at the TV and said, oh, one of those people is on the show because I was wearing hijab. And as she continued to watch the show, she said episode by episode, her heart started to soften towards me. And by the last episode, when I was eliminated, she said she was crying and wanted to write to Gordon Ramsay. And then fast forward two years later, she was like at our home for dinner with your Muslim neighbor sitting at our table. A balanced diet is holding a cookie in both hands. Welcome to the One Foot in the Sink podcast, ladies and gents. My name is Anis and Foz is here. Assalamu alaikum, everybody. And she is a master chef. It's Amanda Saab. Hi, guys. Assalamu alaikum. Hello, my friends. Muslims. Muslim. Muslim lifestyle podcast. What do you think the podcast is about? I think it's about Muslim because you put your foot in the sink when you do a do. It's about a story called the Ghostbusters. So Foz, you seem like a cookie monster. <laughs> are you trying to say that I've not got a balanced diet? Yeah, it's very off balance. All the cookies are in one of your hands. So I enjoy it. I say you're supposed to do it. You enjoy it. Are you, are you a cookie guy or donut kind of guy? No, definitely cookies. Donuts too much for me. What about you, Amanda? I mean, do you have to choose one of the two? It's a sweet treat, so I say yes to both. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> so your balanced diet is a donut in one hand and a cookie in the other. That's perfect. Oh, that's a good balance. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's just go straight into our opening question for today. You guys ready? Yep. Okay, the opening question for this episode is, if you could open a restaurant anywhere you wanted, what location would you choose and why? And as usual, we'll start with you, Foz. Great, cool. So this is a location where there's no restrictions. You can just do it. Like even if I wanted to say the moon, I can do it, right? So I would have yeah. mine in a middle of a football pitch, football pitch or soccer pitch, whichever, wherever you're from. So it would be right on the center of the middle where they take the kickoffs from. And it would be like you could have glass all around. People would have perfect seats. You can watch the football and people just have to play around you. They just have to deal with it. And you'll be in the middle of the pitch. <laughs> so you have uh, pitch-sized tickets to the game. Yeah, exactly. You could, yeah, exactly. You'll have amazing seats. You get to enjoy your food and you get to watch the football and people just running around you. Probably getting annoyed and knocking on the window, but, you know, carry on eating. <laughs> I don't know how I feel about this answer. <laughs> I think it's amazing. I would pay to sit in the middle of a football pitch. <laughs> would you pay to sit in Fozzie's restaurant, Amanda? I mean, it's, it would definitely be a once-in-a-lifetime experience, so yes. Yeah. That's pretty Sahani, cool. I know where you're going with that. <laughs> See, right. it's a good answer. <laughs> okay, Amanda, over to you. Um, so one of my husband, Hussein, and I's favorite place to vacation is Huntington Beach, California. And my dream restaurant would be right on that pier in Huntington Beach. And they have a farmer's market there every Wednesday. Um, whenever we visit, like for vacation, we always stop there. So I'd be have like the best produce and then it's like right on the ocean. So the best seafood and it's just amazing weather, like 75, 80 degrees, sunny. Oh. <laughs> 
that that seems like a very sensible and perfect location. <laughs> yes. Because like you're saying, you've got all of your ingredients and it's all fresh and ideal. Mine would probably be coming up from underground and somewhere. <laughs> so what would, you, what would be the main dish that you'd be serving in your restaurant, Amanda? Well, okay. So if we're doing, you know, a seafood, um, it would definitely be a flaky white fish, whatever is like readily available and whatever vegetables in season. Um, so we definitely have like a potato. That's like my favorite starch, you know, versus like a rice or potato um, with my protein. Um, so definitely like a creamy whipped herb mashed potato with, with our fish and then roasted vegetables. I mean, I love roasting vegetables because you get like that natural sweetness in them. Um, so whatever vegetable we decide, you know, is found that day that's like perfectly crisp and fresh and then um a sauce maybe a sweet sauce just to counterbalance all like the savory i can i can hear fuzz's stomach rumbling <laughs> from all of them over here i'm sold that's like the way you described it i can picture his his perfect meal <laughs> go on anise what's yours all right so my answer is something a bit different i would take over a part of an airplane and i'll set up a restaurant <laughs> in a commercial airliner and the reason being is every time I've traveled, like, so if, if, if I'm not lucky enough to fly an airline like Emirates, which serve halal food, I'm usually stuck with British Airways or American Airlines. And when I ask for the halal food option, it's usually rice and lentils. <laughs> yep. And <laughs> so, so my restaurant would be in an airplane, um, probably like in a certain section of an airplane, and yeah, I'll just cook everyone meals and there'll be no discrimination between people in first class, business class or economy class. Anyone can come and join and, you know, we'll have a, we'll have a, we'll have a menu. It won't be extensive, but it will be you know, just like a normal restaurant on, on the ground. But where do you sit? But can you see? Yeah, you can have a takeaway option or <laughs> we'll have a little bar stool. Yeah, takeaway to your seat Creative. or we could deliver it to your seat or you know, we can have a little bar around around the around the restaurant so people I can just it. sit there and mingle, socialize. It'd be quite good. You can even have a teppanyaki guy cooking the food in front of you. Hey, I like the delivery and takeaway option. Yeah. <laughs> you can deliver to your seat. Of course. I think it's much needed. And every, of course, all the food will be 100% halal, so yeah. everyone can enjoy the food. <laughs> you, don't have to, you don't have to stick with your uh, over-salted rice and your bland lentils. Uh, I think you're going to need Emirates to pay for that. You won't get it on British Airways. <laughs> Other flights are available. Um, <laughs> okay, so I think let's move on to our guest. So, Amanda, thank you so much for coming on to the show. Really appreciate your time. Thank you. Really excited to have you on, and there's so much we wanted to ask you. In 2015, you appeared on season six of MasterChef, becoming the first hijab-wearing American Muslim on a major reality TV show. You began an initiative called Dinner with Your Muslim Neighbor, where you invited strangers over for dinners to have conversations about Islam. You're featured in the America Great Cookbook, which includes some of the top chefs in America. Uh, and you have a food blog. And we looked at the pictures and, oh my God, me and Anish just sat there saying, look at that, look at that, look at that. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's an amazing page. And we want to find out what motivates you, your inspirations for putting yourself out in the public uh, and how you overcome negativity by reaching out into your community. But before we jump into all of that, I think it's best to start off with you, yourself. So tell us about yourself, where you're from, your family, your upbringing. 
Thank you so much for having me on and for this awesome opportunity to talk about food. So I was born and raised in Dearborn, Michigan. Um, my grandparents immigrated here to the United States from Lebanon. So my parents um, grew up in the state from when they were young children and um, they're just always in the kitchen with my mom and my grandma. And every Saturday, my family still gets to this day at my grandma's house for dinner. So there's like 50 people now that enjoy grandma's cooking on Saturdays, which is so awesome. Um, so food has always been such an important part of our family and just like getting together. So when I moved to Seattle, my husband and I moved to Seattle, we lived there for five years. We really missed like just being with our family and like cooking with them and eating with them. So we, we planned, you know, that if we were to start a family, we'd want to be back here so that our children would be able to have the amazing memories of just like cooking with our um, family and eating and enjoying. So we're back home in Michigan now. And we now have a daughter, Hannah, who loves going to grandma's house on Saturdays too. Uh, sometimes she's overwhelmed <laughs> and screams and everyone's like, what's going on? I'm like, she's never seen 50 people all at once. So like, that's all it is. <laughs> It's, it's every Saturday you go and have a, like a big family meal. Yes, it's amazing. I mean, there are some Saturdays where there's like a, a family wedding or, <laughs> you know, some event that, you know, we'll, most all, all of us will be there, but generally every Saturday. So 52 days in a year, we're generally at grandma's for dinner. And does grandma still cook all the meal for all the, all the people that turn up? Um, so she cooks most of the meal um my mom and her sisters will help and then even like you know the grandchildren will help and we're, we're always in charge of dessert so i always bring a dessert to share for the family as well so i think this this seems like it's played an important role in kind of having that passion for cooking as well so the secret to behind it is your grandma <laughs> absolutely absolutely and my mom i mean she like taught me how to cook growing up and always had my sisters and i like in the kitchen with her and always just like shared how she makes things um and like let us be hands on, um, which I also hope to be with Hannah, just you know, letting us roll dough and let us letting us mix the batters and stuff. Um, so that was really important, I think, in developing my love for cooking, just seeing that it's like an enjoyable process and not something that like you have to dread doing. Is it typically traditional food you have or is it just like mixed? A mix. I think it's so funny. Like Lebanese food is always like kind of like my comfort, especially when we moved to Seattle and there wasn't like halal, like a lot of halal options, especially like not halal Lebanese food that was really good. So that was like my comfort food. And I really like honed in on like Lebanese recipes because I was like, I miss that so much. Um, but we cook everything. My grandma makes pizza um, on Saturdays. So... <laughs> um my Lebanese grandma makes you know Italian food um <laughs> but we, we cook everything you know like whatever's uh delicious from each cuisine um we love to adapt it and make it our own and enjoy it so your passion from uh, for all of your cooking comes from your family your grandma getting together um so how did you start with MasterChef how did that all come about where did it all start yeah so my husband and I were actually watching MasterChef and there was um a call for an open audition it was like do you have what it takes to be the next MasterChef and he turned to me and said you totally have what it takes to be the next MasterChef like you should do this and I'm like really like I've never considered like a cooking competition show or like going on you know tv or anything like that I'm like well I have nothing to lose I had started my career off as a social worker and I was working in a hospital in Seattle and it was kind of stressful it's like when I would come home like food would kind of be like my way to like wind down and like relax so I had a lot of extra time there so we decided to just go online and check the audition and uh, there was a casting call in LA um, and we loved 
going down to the beach in California. So we we're like, okay, let's make a trip out of it. And it was like our wedding anniversary weekend. So it was like, perfect. Like, you know, this is our gift to each other. We'll just like spend the time there. And when we got down to LA, like I was like, okay, I have to make my dish. And how am I going to do it? Like we were staying in a hotel and my husband's like, oh, just call the hotel chef, like use the kitchen. I'm like, no, they're going to think I'm crazy if I ask them to use the kitchen. <laughs> and he's like, no, you have nothing to lose. Just ask them. So I was like, okay. I'll just bite the bullet. Like, they don't know who's on the other end of the phone. Like, I can just make this call and ask. So I called and I asked the chef and he's like, absolutely. Like, we'd love to have you. We'll support you in any way. And um, he ended up like ordering all the ingredients I needed. And I made my baklava cheesecake. Your husband seems to play a really good role, kind of pushing you forward. Has he always kind of been like that in, there, in terms of getting you to do all your different initiatives? Absolutely. I think he's my biggest cheerleader and my greatest supporter. And he definitely pushes me to do things that he sees that I can do and be successful in. Um, he also like pushed me to start my cookie shop and he's like, your cookies are amazing. Like, just try it. Like you can do this. Um, so he's definitely like, I couldn't do any of this cool, fun stuff and food without him. So I'm so grateful, alhamdulillah, for his support always. And he also must be lucky to be the guinea pig for everything you cook. Oh, absolutely. He loves when there's like a cookie that's not like the perfect shape. He's like, oh, I get to eat all the mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> okay and so you um applied for it you went to california just talk us through how it went your emotions how each round went and how you start feeling and uh, the experience yeah, so the audition process is a really lengthy process and it wasn't like what I anticipated. I thought like, oh, I'm just going to like go cook and they're, you know, bring my dish, my amazing cheesecake and they're going to love it. And, you know, that's it. I'm on the show. But it was like several rounds of audition. So they like, you know, interview you on camera. I went back home to Seattle and had to do like videos of me cooking at home and just a whole bunch of things um, that it took. With each round, I'm like, okay, do I really want to do this? This is a lot of work. Like this is taking a lot of time, but I'm like, I have nothing to lose and everything to gain. So why not just give it a chance? And I've never like done something so like crazy um, and out there because to me it was kind of crazy because like, oh, you're going to be on TV. And I was just, you know, very traditional and like, you know, went to college, got my degree, started my job and then, oh, I'm going to go on a reality show. So totally out there for me, but I'm so glad I did it. Yeah. Okay. And then so after um, the auditions, what happened next? So then there was Battle for the Apron, and it was uh, Battle of, of the Lamb. And uh, there were four of us competing with lamb dishes, and I made um, a lamb kafta with uh, jalapeno-dusted uh, potato and a cement aioli, which is just like a fancy like word for mayo. And I you know, added the cement, which is like a gray spice. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it's all in like how you describe and, and showcase your food. So um, I got a white apron, a MasterChef apron that day. And then um, my mom was there and my husband was there and uh -huh. my sisters. Um, and it was really cool to come out with an apron um, while they were all there. Wow, mashallah. And was that in California as well? Yes. And it was, it, was it during the same time when you submitted your baklava cheesecake? Yeah, so the baklava cheesecake was to the open audition. That was like where tens of thousands of people show up. And then after several rounds, it was like a few months later, um, that's when I did the Battle of the Lamb and my family was there and I got the apron. Oh, wow. It's quite a lengthy process. Oh, it is. <laughs> and I'm just curious as well. So when it comes to the recipes and everything, how does that usually work? Do you get told, like, do you get any help or tips or any told any pre-information or you just come up with it yourself? No, you just, you have to come up with it on the fly. So um, what I did is I had flashcards and I had like recipes and I would just like study them and 
quiz myself and just I think once you have like your base recipes down, you're good. So if you have your basic cake recipe, like you can add any flavoring to that. You can, you know, make a million cakes with just one recipe. And same with cookies. Um, you know, you're starting out with the same basic ingredients, um, butter, sugar, eggs, flour, baking soda, baking powder. I mean, once you have that down, you'll be good to go. And um, I quizzed myself a lot. So. So the flashcards, is that something that you've always had? Or is that something that you research for the auditions of MasterChef? No, that's just something I came up with when I realized like I would have to be making so many different things and I needed to study. So I was like, okay, this is like a way I studied um, for like organic chemistry in college. So like, let me like apply it to like cooking. (laughs) Yeah, that's a really good idea. Do you think that really helped you in terms of when they gave you a certain recipe to use? Do you think that helped you um, compared to the other competitors that were there? I think I like had the recipes down, I think it was more of like a confidence boost. Like, okay, like I was just like reassuring myself, like, okay, you know this, you know this, you know that. So I think it definitely gave me um, a one up on the competitors because I felt like totally confident in what I was doing. That's a brilliant idea. Thank you. <laughs> what were your inspirations and the creativity behind the dishes you prepared? Yeah, so um, I get my inspiration definitely from like childhood, just like nostalgic flavors and like what I remember eating. Like I made a um, like turmeric cake. So it's like a play on a Lebanese uh, sfoth, um dessert, but I made it like in a regular cake and I made a goat cheese icing, um, just kind of like sweet and savory. And I had like a date syrup because like we always like bake with dates and especially like during Shah Ramadan, like we always are eating dates. Um, so I wanted a way to like incorporate that and it like kind of balance like the savory goat cheese icing and then you get like a really sweet um syrup so that was pretty good so you try these because it's fascinating the way you've like just described it and the way you come up with these and it's very linked to like your cultural upbringing and kind of infusing it with kind of more western kind of type food and do you test these at home or was it like on the fly you come up with it? How, how does that come about yeah well like so all the recipes that i do share like on my blog i test um several times and um like husband. i said i have like my yes my husband he's like brutally honest like some people were like oh like my husband just says everything's good I'm like not mine like like you need to fix that I so appreciate that because obviously honesty is like the best policy and I want to know the truth so we can like give good recipes to people that are reading the blog we don't want to give them something that like oh it's okay but it's not really okay yeah that's pretty cool so what was your experience like on MasterChef um, it was amazing. It was like such a crazy like adrenaline rush. I never like realized just how competitive I could be like around food because food is usually like not a competitive, you know, aspect of your life. You're just like making food to nourish yourself or to share with family and friends. Um, but then like you're adding like this aspect and that's just like crazy. Like, why are we going to compete like while doing this? It. it it's still but you would get like such an adrenaline rush just like when they say like go and to cook and it was the first time in my life that I ever like just focused solely on food because you know usually you have your work you have your school you have so many I mean responsibilities in life um but this was like five weeks that I was there um that was just like focused solely on food and what was it like dealing with Gordon Ramsay breathing down your neck (laughs) he was actually um very kind to me alhamdulillah i'm saying like you know if he tries to like come at me with his like (laughs) scary yelling voice i'm gonna talk to him about why that's like ineffective method of communication and like he really (laughs) needs to just calm down but um, he never yelled at me um so that was that was good i was 
very grateful for that. Oh, that's alhamdulillah. That's really good. And obviously, you um, you wear the hijab, so you're you're very visible as a Muslim. And how do you think you are perceived by your fellow contestants? Um, well, there were some of the some of my fellow contestants actually were. Um, very open and curious and like, you know, ask me like, why do you wear hijab and what does that mean to you? And, you know, why are you always like going off somewhere while we're having lunch and I would be going to pray? <laughs> like, where is she going off to? Um, so there were a few that were just like really um, curious and I so appreciated that. And I love that we could have such an open dialogue and you know we didn't have like our cell phones and stuff so there was like no distractions like we had to talk to each other um so i was glad that some people were like open to talking about like islam and um were just curious and wanted to learn more and that's really good and um and i'm just thinking about the listeners and if they're in the similar situation like how what's the best advice you would give like if because even when i used to go and pray at work or something you know you, you know some people are thinking so where are they always going how did you explain that? Like, talk us through how that felt and what you went through. Yeah, I I love talking to people about, you know, my faith because it's such an important aspect of our lives. And I love when they're genuine, genuinely curious and, like, are asking just from a place of, you know, curiosity um, and interest and sincere interest. Um, so I think that's always, like, a great starting point point for people to have a conversation about Islam is when they're just genuinely curious and like want to know, you know, okay, Amanda is this Muslim woman and you know, what is, what is she doing? What, what's going on? Um, and you know, I would just explain that this was my time to, you know, have some peace and, um, be able to communicate with, with God. And some people meditate in the morning and do their yoga and different practices and that sort of thing. And as Muslims, we pray. And that's like our channel of communication to God. And they're like, you're constantly praying like all through the day. Like we, we, we do that maybe like once a week. I'm like, yeah, like, and I think there's kind of like a shift in a wave now to be like, have more mindfulness practices and that sort of thing. And I'm like, we've had this for thousands of years, like subhanAllah. <laughs> yeah. Any advice for people who are at work and, you know, they just creep, they just, um, not creep, but they just, um, hide away and go pray and then come back and no one's noticed that they're gone yeah i think it can be challenging and i think especially in the workplace uh, i know for my husband too like working in like corporate america and like that kind of like um really professional business setting um it could be hard you know or if you're doing like wudu in the bathroom and like your coworker walks in they're like what are they doing in the sink like, having like, one foot know, in the sink um that sort of thing can <laughs> yeah exactly exactly um uh so having those conversations i think ahead of time are helpful so you're not like in a situation where you feel super awkward like you um uh got caught doing something and you know that you should be ashamed of but i think for me like my confidence and my faith comes from allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and i just feel like you know this is like divine faith and we should be proud of it and um I think that takes, you know, a lot of like reflection and just prayer um, and that will come to you too. So if you're feeling like you're having a hard time with that, I think just asking God for strength and confidence and it will come. Inshallah. inshallah yeah. yeah, exactly. It's good advice. And were there any conflicts during the show like between your faith, like if you were cooking with wine or anything like that, but your recipes, you said you were your own, but did you face any conflicts about kind of the meat or anything like that? Yeah, so I was just anticipating like the moment where there was pork and they're like going to make like this big thing like Muslim cooks pork, you know, like, or, you know, there's wine or whatever. Um, so if there was an ingredient that I had to use like that, I, I just like read about it so that I would know like how to do it. 
Um, obviously, I wouldn't be able to taste it myself. Um, but the meat was a halal, so I wasn't able to taste that either. So it wasn't going to be like too difficult. Um, there was a breakfast challenge and there was uh, bacon actually, so pork, something I've never cooked with or touched or anything. And I was able to um, just make like a bacon maple crumble because I read about it and read that like maple and bacon goes good together and it was like a breakfast challenge. So that just worked out for me. Oh, wow. Oh, cool. And so then you were in the show. Like, how did it all go in the end? And so just for the distance point of view. Yeah. So um, I got eliminated on my birthday. Um, we had a birthday oh, wow. cake challenge and I was to make my own birthday cake. It was just like the irony. Like, it's so funny. <laughs> like, you couldn't write like a better script, like for reality TV. Like, subhanAllah. Like, it was it was so funny. Uh, I mean, not funny at the time. Funny now that I'm like, oh, yeah, I, when I was you like, look like broken it. at the time. It was raw. Um, I've never made a raw cake before, but on that particular day, my cake was raw and uh, I... I was sent home, which, you know, is a blessing too, because then I got to see my family uh, for my birthday. So, just describe the feeling as well, because it's like the cameras on you, you know, you got Gordon Ramsay going up and down. Like you said, you've never cooked raw cake before. And it just made me think about, like, how does it actually feel? Like, you, it must be so much pressure. On you. Oh, yeah. And how did you do it? There that? was so much pressure. And I think, too, there was a lot of pressure because, like, I'm a baker and I prefer, like, making sweet things over savory things. So I think the pressure just got to me that day because there was, like, such high expectations, I think, from the judges and the other contestants. Like, Amanda is, like, a really good baker. Um, her cake is going to be, like, amazing. And and yeah, I think it just got to me that day. And I think I was feeling like lonely and sad, um, you know, being away from my family and my husband, like on my birthday. But, you know, everything happens for a reason. And um, there's definitely uh, blessings in everything that happened. So, you know, you just move forward and uh, continue on. And I made, you know, hundreds of cakes since then. <laughs> Hopefully none raw. No raw. <laughs> <laughs> Just touching upon the pressure, um, did you ever feel that you had the added pressure of being a visible Muslim wearing hijab, so you had to act in a certain way? Do you feel that pressure or were you just so focused on the cooking that that was the main focus for you? Yeah, so I didn't even like really think about that. Because when I think of myself, like, yes, like, you know, I'm a, a visible Muslim woman, you know, I'm a wife, I'm a mother, all these aspects of my identity. But like, I don't think about that when I'm doing things. I'm just like doing just like it. a normal and, person, you know, yeah. Exactly. Um, so I didn't even think about that. And I didn't even know that I was the first like Muslim woman in hijab until they announced the cast. And then um, Eater uh, wrote an article about it and it went viral. And I was like, oh my God, I... <laughs> <laughs> that's Hannah. <laughs> Hannah. <laughs> I didn't even know like I was the first, but um, so that was pretty cool once they announced that. And how do you feel the American public perceived you? Um, so there was like a lot of like really positive um, and encouraging uh, feedback, but there was also like really negative um, comments that were being made at that time. So um, a little both. And how do you deal with the negativity? Yeah, so like at first people were like, oh, you should just block, you know, the people that are saying bad things about you, like don't even read them and that sort of thing. But I was like, this is an opportunity to have a dialogue and to like try to better understand um, where they're coming from and why they might have these feelings. Just one second. If we, I'm going to pick up Hannah Bear. Okay, mama. That's okay, fine. Mama. Da. Don't cry. Hello. Hello. Um, so I just thought it would be an opportunity 
to engage people that might have a negative perception of Islam or just Muslim women who wear the hijab and why not like give them the chance to like ask questions and have a dialogue rather than just being like you're ignorant, you know, delete block. Yeah. Give them a chance. So that, that moves us nicely onto the next part what we want to speak to you about was dinner with your Muslim neighbor. So how did that come about? Yeah. Um, so I was watching the evening news after work and uh, President Donald Trump was on the TV and he said he was calling for a complete and total shutdown of Muslims coming into the country. And my initial reaction was I cried and then I like stopped myself. I was like, you're not going to cry about this. Like you can do something about it and there's no need to like, you know, feel helpless. Like there's always something we can do. And I was like, you know, we love to cook and host people over. So why not like give the opportunity to have this dinner? So I uh, turned to Hussein and I said, you know, why don't we have dinner with your Muslim neighbor and just invite people over and they can ask us questions about Islam and we can talk to them, you know, about what it means to us and how we practice American Muslims and what that means. And at first he was like hesitant. He's like, what, what people are we going to invite? And I was like, oh, we'll just put it on Facebook and see who responds. And he's like, uh, okay. You know, he's always super supportive. So he said, okay. But I know he was like worried, like, you know, who's going to come to our house? How do we make sure, you know, that we're safe and that sort of thing. But Alhamdulillah, it's been over almost two years and we've had 18 dinners so far. Alhamdulillah. So just talk us through the idea process. Like, what do you feel was key in getting you from having the idea then going through and actually executing it? Well, we really just wanted to get to know our neighbors and give them a chance to get to know us as Muslims. And I think, you know, every time I thought about it and, you know, should we do it? Should we not? That sort of thing. There's something in the news or the headlines or like something trending on Twitter that I was just like, yes, you need to do this. Like, you need to do it. So I just put it out on Facebook and I said, hey, I have this idea and, you know, we'd like to bring people together. And over 200 people responded and said, you know, that's amazing. Like, I would love to come to a dinner. Um, so I was just like positive affirmation and confirmation that the idea was good and that there would be interest in people joining us. And I was like, okay, we can't fit like 200 people. We can maybe fit like eight people. <laughs> so like, let's do one at a time and just see how it goes. And with each dinner, I'm just like more motivated and encouraged to have another dinner because there's always something I think divinely sent from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that says like, keep going. Like, this is what you should do. There's always like this breakthrough. Um, at several of dinner, of the dinners, we've had guests that said they've prayed um, to have an opportunity like this and that, you know, it came to them, you know, through some friend or some way. So I feel like this is what we should be doing. So talk us through your first dinner. So you had 200 responses. How did you narrow it down? And talk us through how you prepared and how, how did it all happen, the first dinner? Yeah. So and what did you cook? Yeah, of course. The most important aspect is the menu. So we just, uh, so the 200 responses were people like all around the country because it was like an open post. So we're like, okay, we were living in Seattle at the time. So obviously geography uh, limited and narrowed down the guest list. And then, you know, availability based on the date and scheduling and that sort of thing. So like it kind of naturally narrowed itself down to, I think we had 12 people at the first dinner and we, um, just said, okay, this is, you know, our intention and our hope and our goal for the dinner. And we um, set the invitation, set the date. And, you know, we had some colleagues, uh, both from Hussein's work and from my work. And then we had like neighbors um, and then even strangers. Like we always have like a stranger that we don't know. And they come to us, you know, through like a friend. So it's like a friend of a friend or, you know, someone on Facebook that we have like mutual connection to um, so that we can kind of like scope out their their social feeds and just like make sure they're not like 
you know, having bad intentions or something yeah. by coming to our dinner. And then we we plan the menu. Um, I usually just go to the grocery store and see like what's fresh and in season and what's available, like what'll be good. So then I just like set, create the menu that way and make sure um, we have lots of extra food for people to take home as well. That's brilliant. Um, and then of course, bake the desserts and all that fun stuff. So do you have any stories about a particular dinner or particular guest that came over? Yeah, so I think the most memorable guest was actually um, one of the dinners uh, once we moved back here to Michigan. And she said two years ago when she was watching me on MasterChef, she looked at the TV and said, oh, one of those people is on the show um, because I was wearing hijab. And she had a debilitating fear of Muslims. Like she wouldn't leave her house because she was afraid like Muslims were going to harm her. And as she continued to watch the show, she said episode by episode, her heart started to soften towards me. She said, you know, you had this bubbly personality. You had um, And by the last episode, when I was eliminated, she said she was crying and wanted to write to Gordon Ramsay. And then fast forward two years later, she was like at our home for dinner with your Muslim neighbor sitting at our table. And when she walked in the door, uh, my husband and I greeted her and she said, wow, your house looks normal on the inside. I'm like, what do they think like we have in our homes? It's like so funny. Like, um, but that's why I think it's so important to have these dinners <laughs> in your home. Like there are great events that happen, you know, at different mosques and stuff uh, around the country, different community centers, that sort of thing. But I think it's, you know, that personal element and that personal touch that's really important um, when having the dinner. I'm still thinking about what they think our house our homes look like from the inside. <laughs> I don't know. But she said our house looked normal, so Oh wow. <laughs> and any any memorable questions that you had from any of your guests? Yeah, so there are always questions about hijab and you know They'll look at uh, Hussein and then they'll look at me and they're like, you wear it. He doesn't. Like, did he make you wear it? And I'm like, like, no, like I wore this before I even knew him. So there are always uh, funny questions like that. A lot of questions about the food and like, you know, dietary restrictions um, because we're having dinner and they like want to know like what's, you know, what's the deal with halal? Like what that actually means. Yeah. So I think those are like kind of the most frequent and um, popular questions. And have you seen the popularity of what you're trying to do being taken up by other Muslims that you know who are trying to do the same things in their neighborhoods and the communities that they live in? Yeah, so there's been like several um, replications of the idea, which is so awesome. Um, and you know, different people around the country doing their own dinners. But our hope is um, we're going to launch our toolkit so that everyone can just go to MuslimNeighbor.com download the toolkit and I'll tell you like, you know, how to send out your invitations, a template of, you know, what it says, uh, menu ideas, conversation prompts so that you can stay focused and have, you know, a single topic dinner conversation um, and what it looks like to kind of moderate that conversation. Of course, you know, being safe and that sort of thing. Oh, that's quite nice. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of that TV show, Come Dine With Me. Have you ever seen it? No. Is that a British show? Or? Yeah. So there's a British TV show called Come Dine With Me. And what they usually do, they, have, they choose a certain number of people from an area and then they have to cook a dinner for each other. And then at the end, at the end of the dinner, everyone gets to score the person on terms of what they've cooked and, you know, entertainment. Oh, that's ideas. really cool. So do, do you put on um, – super really good show – um, what, what kind of entertainment do you put up for them? <laughs> so curious. I think the, the, the dinner conversation is entertainment enough. <laughs> and then, you know, like after like a super, like, it can get really heavy. Like we're talking about like really um, 
heavy things sometimes, you know, there's always, you know, questions about like, you know, extremism and that sort of thing. So the conversation can be pretty heavy. So I think like once we're done with dinner and like on to dessert, people are just like glad to just like sigh and relax. And then we're just like, you know, casually mingling at that time. That's amazing. So this toolkit, um, is that available now on your website? So it'll be available in February. Okay. Yeah, that's really good. Before we move on to the next section, there's one question about MasterChef I wanted to ask you. What doors do you think MasterChef, being a MasterChef, uh, has opened up for you? Yeah, so I think MasterChef just gave me the opportunity um, to like further my blogging um, and just like share it with more people. It definitely gave me opportunity um, to get my name out there, and you know that led to like me being in America the Great Cookbook. And I think it also like just propelled also like dinner with your Muslim neighbor. There's more interest in media and that sort of thing and covering that story because I had that previous uh, experience with MasterChef. Yeah, that's amazing. So we're just going to go into our next section now. So it's getting some Amanda's uh, kitchen tips. And so what tips would you have for people who are working and struggling with time to prepare like a hearty meal for themselves or for their families? Do you have any cool hacks or recipes that could help? Yeah, so I think um, planning like your week is like super important. Um, So generally, I pick like three to four recipes for the week and I'll just like put them in my notes section in my phone be like, okay, these are the four things I'm going to make. And then I'll have like a wild card where I can just like make whatever in one night because I like to be creative. But then, you know, when I do my grocery shopping, I'll make sure I have the ingredients for those four recipes at least. So you're not having to go to the store every day, um, which will make making dinner so much easier when you have everything you need. Having a well-stocked pantry, so having like beans and rice and lentils, just like staples in your pantry at all time, because then you can always make a meal with those. Um, so you don't have to like run out. If you like say you forget to like go grocery shopping on Sunday before the week starts, then Monday you can still make a dinner for yourself and your family. Making sure like you take out like your meat or chicken if you're making a, a protein like that fits in your freezer the night before, put it in your fridge so that when you come home it's fully defrosted dinner will be like super fast and I love just like focusing on like really fresh seasonal ingredients so like tomatoes right now in December in Michigan are not going to be as good as they were in the summertime so I'm not going to like try to make like a fresh marinara sauce with fresh tomatoes right now because it's not going to be good and then you know Hussein's going to say that's not as good as the (laughs) last sauce you made That's a good point. Um, where do you like do your shopping from? Like, did you go to your local farmer, or do you, where do you get your produce from? Yeah, so farmers markets are the best. Um, when we were living in Seattle, they were everywhere. Um, they're not so readily available here, unfortunately. But just like the local grocery stores, I mean, they're starting to carry pretty good stuff, like organic and locally sourced things. I think that's kind of like the trend in food, which it should be not just a trend, it should be the way we eat. But it's really cool uh, to see that kind of growing in in different stores. So, you know, just checking the produce and stuff before you buy it. Don't just like grab whatever um, before you leave the store. That's what Nish does. I've been shopping with him before. He just picks up tomatoes just randomly. He doesn't pay pay attention. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) That's not good. I do I do know where to pick the milk and the bread from because I used to work in the supermarket back in the day when I was about 16 and you know we used to put all the new stuff at the back and then all the old stuff front so I always reach for the back. That's very true. It's good tip Anise. <laughs> do my bit. <laughs> Amanda what do you think typical thing that most people who cook do incorrectly in your opinion? 
Okay, well, one is like overcooking their meats. Like you don't need to like dry out your chicken, like or your beef. Like it doesn't need to be. I don't know if it's like a Lebanese thing, but like just overly cooked meat. Like it's gross. Like it's hard. You're chewing for so long. Like that's not the way. It just needs a little bit of heat. Obviously, you want to get it to proper temperature. You don't want to be eating like raw food. Um, but just getting that right. And I think also people are afraid of like sharp knives. But, like, you need to sharpen your knives and it'll make, like, <laughs> chopping so much easier. And it's actually safer than trying to, like, cut things with, like a blunt knife. And then it's, like, you know, going to slip and you might hurt yourself. <laughs> so do you sharpen your own knife with a whetstone or um, do you have any tips? Yeah. So um, just when, like, we purchased our knives, like, at Sur La Table. And I don't know if you guys have that store abroad. Or, like, Williamson, wherever you get, like, your kitchen stuff. And they just sell, like, a... A knife uh, sharpener and it's like really easy you just do like four swipes in step one and then like four swipes in step two and it's like five minutes and you got like a really awesome sharp knife great and just curious as well because typically like in like uh, cooking like from my mother or anything like that they would always want to make sure like exactly what you said meat is very well cooked meat you need to make sure it's cooked it's cooked how do you check it like because then you've got people that are cutting into the meat and just checking it is it pink or no okay you can carry on how do you check it so if like say I'm doing like a turkey for Thanksgiving, you're, you can't cut into that because then the skin is going to look funny and it's going to look weird for the presentation. So just getting a, a thermometer and just putting it into like the biggest part of the um, tur- into the bird and um, checking the temperature that way. Cool. And um, just um, one more question I had in this section is what resources, books or websites would you recommend for anybody wanting to kind of enhance their cooking skills? Yeah, so there are uh, several just like basic books, cookbooks that have like helped me. But my favorite technique book is by Jack Pepin. And it has like a step-by-step photo guide of like how to like trust a chicken, how to break down a chicken, just like every cooking technique you need to master is there. And he has like great um, videos like on YouTube as well. He's a great resource. Mastering the Art of French Cooking by Julia Child. That's, you know, how I made my French onion soup you know, the halal version without any alcohol. But I, you know, the base recipe is like from her cookbook. And there is like several pastry um, books. I, I couldn't pick just one. But, you know, my website, I have like really approachable uh, recipes on Amanda's plate. I, there, there's so many like awesome resources. Uh, Cooks Illustrated, America's Test Kitchen. Um, those are also really good resources as well. That's really good advice. And I guess from from my point of view, I've recently getting into like cooking steaks and cooking meats. And like you said, what helps with me is just having that video or having a picture. So there's some really good advice there. Thank you. So let's talk about the baklava cheesecake. Yeah. That sounds amazing. It is amazing. <laughs> it's really good. What was the inspiration? Um, so I was looking for a dish um, when we were planning like the audition for MasterChef, like what I should make. Like I wanted something that was kind of like East and West fusion because they, the advice they gave for, you know, bringing a dish was something that represents you. And I'm like, okay, what, well, you know, better thing, you know, to an odd to my Lebanese heritage, but also like the first thing I learned how to bake by myself was a cheesecake. So I knew I wanted to make like a cheesecake. Uh, I was in fourth grade at the book fair at school and I got like this cookbook and there was a cheesecake recipe in there. And I just loved making cheesecakes after that. And um, I loved making baklava. Like my mom taught me how to do it. Like, you know, I used to help like brush the butter when she would make it. And then, you know, we would sometimes like roll like the little like 
finger like balewa ones that they that they make um so i knew i wanted a fusion i was just like researching and then i saw like something like a baklava cheesecake and i was like ah. so i had that in the back of my mind but then like one day i was just like playing like recipe developing and i had like the phyllo dough and i had like my cream cheese and i'm like okay well let's just try it and see what happens and it turned out like so good it passed the hsen uh taste test uh so i knew <laughs> it was good to go if it was good enough for him it was good enough for gordon ramsay <laughs> <laughs> great is it easy to make like easy to follow the recipe on your site because i'm so i'm literally it's two of my favorite recipes i love baklava and i love cheesecake and since i saw that picture i need to do it i want to do it and the more you talk about it like i literally i want to do it tonight oh you totally should like the cheesecake itself is just like so smooth and creamy and then you get like crunchy balewa topping It's like the perfect combination. It's like the perfect mashup of foods. Like it just works so well. Um it definitely requires a little bit of effort. So it's going to take some time. You know, cheesecakes generally take some time because you have to like cream the cheesecake slowly. Um you want all your ingredients to be at room temperature and then, you know, you're making your layers of batlawa brushing with the phyllo dough with butter. So that also takes a little bit of time, but it's so worth it. Like every time I make it, I'm like, "Man, this takes a really long time." But then when we eat it, I'm like, "Oh, so good. So worth it." Yeah, awesome. And I had uh, one more question. So, so you you talked about earlier like when you make sure you used to go pray, especially when you're master chef. Like, what one item has helped you connect to Islam while you've been on the go? Like, whenever you're out and about. So, what item for you has been quite important and easy for you to connect to Islam? Well, I think for me it's my hijab because every morning before I set out to go out into the world, I put my hijab on and I say, you know, God comes first and everything else is second. So it's you know a constant reminder. I mean there are also like great apps on our phones and that sort of thing. It's so easy now to like know prayer times like you can have the adhan playing for you on prayer times and that sort of thing. Even just setting like alarms in your phone if you don't you know want your app playing while you're at work or that sort of thing to startle like your colleagues or anything like that. You can just set a um alarm. Um but definitely my hijab. That's a great answer. I really like that one. So We're going to move on to our quick fire round now so have a bit of fun. Um so I need you to go first. Sure. Yeah, so Amanda the first question on the quick fire round is what's your must have kitchen appliance? Okay. See, I know this is supposed to be like quick answer quick fire <laughs> but define appliance. It doesn't have to be quick. <laughs> Okay, appliance definitely a stand mixer. I know it's an investment, but it's so much easier. I've I've tested just using a hand mixer to make like a Swiss meringue buttercream, and after 20 minutes nothing was happening. So I just put it into the stand mixer and 5 minutes later like I had my perfect meringue. So if you can just like save up, it's a little bit of an investment, but a stand mixer will make your baking so much easier. And then if I say like a tool in the kitchen, like a microplane, um so that you can like zest like your citrus, your nutmeg, um also like for grating garlic, it's so much easier than like having to chop. I love the microplane. <laughs> okay, second question, what's your favorite recipe? Baklava cheesecake. <laughs> <laughs> That was easy. <laughs> okay, so if you had to choose one scenario, would you rather have a disorganized kitchen or poor equipment? Poor equipment? I think I can make work and over time you'll learn like how your poor equipment works but like unorganized kitchen uh just like hearing that like makes me feel anxious I'm like why is it unorganized like let's organize it <laughs> like the sugar over there and like the other cinnamon on the other end of the kitchen something no, like that that's that's going to make cooking so much harder cuz you're going to be like going back and forth and jumping all around 
Um, my spice drawer is like organized alphabetically. So wow, <laughs> alphabetically, yeah. mate. You shouldn't. If we ever meet, you're not coming to my kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> you would be horrified. <laughs> <laughs> so okay next question what's your go-to ingredient oh um okay i'm gonna say like no staples um because you know that's man it would have to be a spice potentially can we can we break it down like subcategory yeah, of like yeah. ingredient yeah of course of course okay yeah, so like my go-to spice would be um garlic powder it's so easy you can use it in anything and it's so quick a really quick way to add flavor um good butter because you can bake really good things or you can just like add it to your bread um rose water because then it like just elevates and it's like unexpected burst of flavor especially in your baked goods um and then like maybe like a good steak <laughs> i love a good steak how do you cook it medium just uh Season with black pepper and salt on both sides. Make sure it's really dry so you get a crisp outer, um, kind of crunchy sear. And just flip it once in your cast iron and perfectly medium. Delicious. Nice. And the last quick fire question, your most memorable moment on MasterChef? <laughs> I hate to be defined by like that moment of my raw cake. <laughs> but it was definitely like my most memorable <laughs> Uh, because you've never had a raw cake after that incident, right? Exactly. Or before it. <laughs> okay, so our final question, one of our closing questions, is what is there not enough of in this world? I think there's not enough compassion. I think if we were all a little bit more compassionate to one another, we'd definitely live in a different world. Yeah. It's a good answer. And okay. And so thank you so much for coming on, Amanda. We've like, I've, it's been fascinating hearing from you. And I'm very lazy in the kitchen, but you've actually motivated me to be do something in the kitchen, which is. Uh, I'm so waiting for us to make the baklava cheesecake. Me too. Yes. I want to see pictures of that. Yeah, please. pressure oh, enough. Damn it. I need to. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. I'll share some pictures. I'm going to do it. I'll, I'll, I'll sharpen my knife. No, you got to do the cheesecake. And Amanda can judge who's got the best one. Yes. Oh man. That sounds great. So just before we close off and say our goodbyes, but um any future plans for yourself? Yeah, so the Dinner with Your Muslim Neighbor toolkit will be available. Um and our hope is that there will be uh dinners with your Muslim neighbor in all fifty states in the United States. Um and hopefully we'll even have some dinners abroad. We'll definitely try that. Like I'm so inspired by what you've done so i'll definitely be one person trying it um and where can people find you on uh, social media and your sites yeah so amandasplate.com is my blog and then muslimneighbor.com for dinner with your muslim neighbor resources um amandasplate um my handles on everything and muslim neighbor as well and i also have butter bear shop uh for my cookies um so you can check that out as well do you deliver cookies outside of the u.s <laughs> um, we don't deliver cookies outside of the U.S. yet, just because uh, customs tends to hold the packages, and then I don't want you getting like stale cookies. So we're yeah. working on. You should do Toronto first as a test market. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, as far yeah, as you I can mean, drive that's them. Pretty close to us, so. Yeah, pick them up. I would. <laughs> um, but thank you so much, Amanda. It's been amazing and really enjoyed the show and learned so much from you. And thank you again for coming on. And we look forward to speaking to you again soon, inshallah. Thank you guys so much. Bye-bye.
Not over just yet, everyone. Of course we've got to plug ourselves. We hope you enjoyed this episode and took away some gold nuggets of wisdom. Remember to leave us a five-star review on iTunes. If you wanted to give us any feedback, praise, or if you have any suggestions for guests, send us an email to info at onefootinthesink.com. You can also find us on Facebook, just search One Foot in the Sink, or Instagram at One Foot in the Sink, or Twitter at the number one foot in the sink. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast and look out for new episodes every other Monday, or fortnightly, or bi-weekly, whatever you want to call it, let's go with two weekly. That's me all done. See you guys soon.